0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. We've got through Revelation chapter 11, and we're on to chapter 12. And I tell you, this has been quite a study. Um, I've got a question as we start. Uh, David sang that song or had the choir sing, I'll Fly Away, and I wondered if that had anything to do with the balloon fiesta. I mean, just the timing of that was pretty remarkable, wasn't it? Come on, I'm sitting there thinking, what? (laughs) I'm sorry, I just had to throw that out there. Y'all did a great job. Look at Revelation chapter 12. We're gonna take this in two parts because (laughs) there's a lot in this. Uh, Aren't you grateful that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world? Isn't that the truth? But we also know that we've got a spiritual battle on our hands and it's epic, it's global. And folks, it's serious. Um, The devastation that sin uh, has just wreaked on this earth is indescribable. All of us have been touched by it in one way or another. And I'm so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the salvation that He's provided for us. I'm thankful for the way in which we have the opportunity to experience the Lord and to walk with Him and trust Him. And we know that Our future, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, is secure, not because of anything we've done or anything we could do or try to pay God back for, but rather because of what Jesus Christ said that when we believe in Him, we will have eternal life. That's a promise secure. And what a beautiful truth that is. No matter what we see going on around us, we know that because of Christ and what He did at the cross for us, Because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, we have received forgiveness. We are reconciled to the Father through the Son, and we have the opportunity to walk with him day by day, moment by moment. No matter what happens, we know that our future is secure, that it is eternal, and that we have received eternal life. In the midst of this battle, in the midst of this spiritual war, it is essential that we proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I had the privilege of sharing with three different people this week and every one of them stated they had no idea what the gospel is. Never heard the good news. Folks, think about that, that's overwhelming. Believers, we must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's message of salvation for humanity. Satan's going to do everything he can to persuade those, to deceive those who are blinded by darkness and keep them from coming to the light. And we need to yield our lives to Christ day by day and walk with him in his grace and in his strength, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that it's according to his timing, in his way, even with his words. The question is, are we available? Are we useful to him in the midst of all that he desires to do? not only in and through our lives, but also in the midst of our community and the people all around us. In Revelation 12, verses 1 through 9, we're going to take that section this morning. There's three personalities that are revealed basically in two signs. There's the sign of the woman, there's the sign of the dragon, and clearly with the woman is the sign of the child. We want to walk through this. In the midst of Revelation, we're in that probable uh, picture, that time frame where we're in the middle of the tribulation here. The seventh trumpet is about to sound, sound, and we're going to get into the bowls of wrath as we get into the last three and a half years. In this particular text, we find that Satan has been thrown down to the earth, and that he knows that his time is short, meaning the last three and a half years are about to take place, and he goes to war in an absolutely indescribable way. We thank God that Christ is supreme, that God is sovereign over it all. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, To give birth. We're given a picture here of a woman. John is seeing this and he says it's a great sign. And it's of a woman and he gives a description of this woman, which ultimately is a picture of Israel. Speaking of Israel in terms of the wife of Jehovah in the Old Testament, this was used over and over as a picture of Israel. But if you go back, and we're not going to take the time to read through it, but I would encourage you to do that. Genesis chapter 37, verses 9 and through 11, the whole story of Joseph where he had this vision. And in that vision, it's very clear what he saw. And here in Revelation, we have the idea of a woman clothed with a sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. When Joseph saw his vision, and if you track it back to this The idea of the sun is Jacob, who was then later renamed Israel, or the moon under her feet, which is Rachel and Joseph's mother, and then became representative of Jewish women through the ages, or crowned with 12 stars. Normally in Revelation, when you see star, you're talking about an angel, but here it may be the one exception, because we're talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. It's clear that this sign of the woman is Israel. I don't know if you've uh, noticed lately, but there's been a lot of talk about the stars and the different things going on in the heavens, and folks, I don't know fully what to do with that. I, I tell you what I don't think we ought to do, and that's begin to set dates as to when the rapture's coming back. I think we better be careful about that. I would suggest that the rapture could happen at any moment. But I don't wanna discount the signs either. I mean, can you imagine if the Magi from Babylon, when they began to look at Daniel's prophecy about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of the King, and then they saw the star in the heavens, that sign, If they just ignored it and said, well, whatever, that's silly. We don't need anything to do with that. I think they saw the star in the heavens. They saw how it aligned with the prophecies they had been given from Daniel. And they began to realize something significant had happened in Israel. And they took the trip to go find out what it was. And it was the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ whom they ended up worshiping. So we wanna be careful about how we take astronomy and make it astrology, amen? But I want to tell you something. There's a lot of things going on today. I've had several people over the last couple of weeks specifically say we got to get back into church because of everything going on around in our world today. People are in fear. People are watching what's happened with these fires, they're watching what's happening with all the different circumstances throughout this world. And there is a recognition that this is different, this is unique. So what we need to do as the people of God is to be prepared to share the hope that we have with them as the Lord leads and as the Lord guides. There's great opportunity all around us, because there's a lot of people that need to hear the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the sign of the woman is Israel, and there's a picture here very clearly of what John is seeing is a great sign. Fruchtenbaum puts it this way, clearly then the woman arrayed with the sun, moon, and stars is representative of Israel, not the church. Some people want to change this into the church, and folks, you just can't do that contextually. That's terrible hermeneutics, if I could use that word with you. The way that we interpret scripture, that would be really, really bad hermeneutics. This is Israel. Well, the second sign, in verse 3, another sign appeared is the sign of the dragon. Another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. Here we see the true character of Satan. He's described as a great red dragon. Red potentially because of blood and certainly a dragon expressing the true viciousness of Satan's character. John puts it this way in John 10 verse 10, he says, the thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Lord contrasts himself with Satan in this, and there is no comparison as to their agendas. Satan desires to steal, to kill, and destroy, and the Lord has come to lay down his life, and so that others who believe in him may have life, and not just any kind of life, but abundant life. Satan is a murderer. He is vicious. It's interesting that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Paul writes, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, here in Revelation, we have kind of the mask pulled off. We have this picture of Satan and his true character, this red dragon, this ferocious beast, this vicious animal, as God sees him. Satan wants to portray himself as an angel of light and his workers as doers of good. And we need to understand that. I think it's amazing how sometimes we we look at doctrine and we say, or truth, and we say, well, the most dangerous thing is that which is absolutely opposed. Somebody that doesn't believe in the virgin birth becomes the most dangerous thing. No, no, friend that's easy to spot. The most dangerous things within the body of Christ, within the church, are the things that are just just a little bit off. Because when you're just a little bit off, it's deceptive, and it's hard to understand it sometimes. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He desires to deceive. John says that in his vision that he sees this moment where he's looking at this, he's got seven heads and ten horns, and that's reflective, we're going to get into this more in chapter 13, but of the Gentile kingdoms, the revived Roman Empire, and the seven diadems, the Antichrist empowered by Satan is ruling over this one world government, so this dragon appears, it's a red dragon, his character is expressed as being truly vicious, but he's also absolutely dominant and in control of the world's system. In verse four, his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, these are referring to demonic angels. One third fell with Satan at the very beginning of time when Satan sinned and he, and he wanted to be like the most high out of pride. He wanted to be something that he was not. He wanted to take from the glory of God, which is something that none of us ought to ever do, and yet we all struggle with. The reality of it is that Satan got tossed out of heaven, but he was still able at that point to come into the very presence of God. You can see that in Job, where he came with the the sons of men, meaning the angels, and he came with them, and the Lord began to talk to him and said, Satan, where have you been? Oh, just walking to and fro on the earth. God says to him, well, (laughs) have you noticed my servant Job? See, Satan was still able to have access to heaven. But now we're going to find in this last moment of the tribulation as the three and a half years is about to begin to be uh, unfolded, Satan is tossed out, is not allowed to be in heaven anymore, and his wrath is great as a result of it. I don't know about you, but I'm comforted by the fact that two-thirds of the angels did not fall and that they're on our side. Aren't you? I don't know how many angels there are. We've been given a number of 200 million that were released out of a pit of demons. And if my math is correct, which sometimes is suspicious, <laughs> if there's one third that have fell and there's 200 million, how many would that put as good angels on our side? And that 400 million? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> one third of 600 million is 200 million, which means 400 million on our side, right? Think about that. That's all we know. There's probably more than that because those are the 200 million that were reserved in the pit for that particular time. So clearly there's probably another 400 million. There's far more than what we really know. It's incredible. Angels are ministering spirits sent to serve, to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Hebrews lets us know that. And it's amazing when you really begin to think about it. We're going to get into that a little bit. Well, the third sign, well, it's the second sign, but it's really the third personality is Christ Jesus himself. It's the child. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days, which is the last three-and-a-half-year period of the tribulation. That's why I would suggest this is at the middle of the tribulation. We're given a parenthetical inclusion here to give us a picture of what's going on in addition to the trumpets that have already sounded. We're about to hear the seventh trumpet, the third row, and we're about to see the end of this thing take place. The picture here is of the dragon Satan wanting to kill the child, Jesus. And some people believe the child maybe the church, and part of that is because uh, he was caught up to God. That word caught up is what we get the word snatched up. It's where the word rapture comes, and so people see that as being the rapture. I think context helps us understand that it's probably referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we talk about him being snatched up, it's talking about his ascension. After he died, after uh, he gave his life at the cross, he ascended into heaven, and that's Probably, I would think, the better translation of this. But clearly a picture is found of Satan desiring to kill Jesus all through the New Testament, all through the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, if you remember Herod killing the children under two in order to try to get rid of the king, the Messiah that the Magi had come in order to worship. He wanted to get rid of him. And there was a great sound of grief throughout Israel, but throughout that region because of what Herod had done. That was obviously satanically induced. It was something that Satan was trying to kill the baby, the Lord Jesus. Christ is born. He's to rule the nations. Isaiah 9 uh, verse 6 and following states this. The Lord will rule. He is the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, mighty God. He's the ruler of all things. And so in spite of Satan trying to take him out, in spite of Satan trying to kill him, we know that he finished his task. He went to the cross. He finished and accomplished the purpose of the cross. And then he ascended into heaven. And he will rule from Jerusalem. That's what this is all about. It's bringing this prophecy about. And that's why Satan, in part, is doing everything he can to stop it. I think it's interesting because verse 6 brings us to the second half of the trip. The last three and a half years, Israel flees to the wilderness uh, and is protected by God there. Ultimately, they're saved by God from Satan. The Lord Jesus Christ himself comes and rescues them at the Battle of Armageddon and he rescues them. They have now turned back to him. They've accepted him as their Messiah and as a result, they are saved. So, Great signs given. The woman, the red dragon, the child. Well, as we go on in this, verse 7, there's the angelic war in heaven. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who's called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Remember, we're, we're in an epic battle, folks. This isn't just something in the forefront. This isn't something we're just headed towards in terms of what uh, history is going to record. This is something happening right now, and it's going to intensify. And we get a glimpse here of something that we don't have a whole lot of understanding on. I don't know if you've read Frank Peretti's books, uh, This Present Darkness and He's Got Others, or if you've read books on this angelic war and the spiritual battle and, and the different things that are going on, be careful with that. Because some of that is sensationalized. Some of that is just uh, authors' opinions of what are going on. And, and you got to be careful of taking it and, and, and using Scripture in a way that it was not intended to be used. Don't get caught up in that. The Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign, and he's absolutely over all things. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. With that said, we know that Satan is a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. And we understand that he is our adversary, We understand that if we as believers even sin, we can put ourselves within the influence of the demonic realm and we can be impacted in one way, shape, or form. I don't believe for a second that when you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and God lives in you, that Satan can indwell you, but I do believe that you can put yourself in a position where you can get set up and you can be in some way, shape, or form, Uh, you can have the demonic realm uh, impact you. There's no question about that. Michael and the angelic host. Michael's an amazing individual, the protector of Israel. Let's take a little walk through this thing. Daniel chapter 12, verses one and following. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, notice he's called Prince. He's the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. Daniel's being given an explanation to his vision. And he's being told something about Michael. He's being told something about the angelic War that is going on. The great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, speaking of Israel, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. And I believe that that's referring to this time that we're looking at in Revelation. Michael arises. Michael, the great prince, stands guard over the sons of your people. He will go to war in a way that to this point he has not. incredible what do we learn about satan and his demons because in this passage in revelation there's war in heaven michael and his angels waging war the great prince is standing with the people of israel against the dragon there's quite a bit stated here about satan and his demons he's called the serpent of old and it's obviously a reference back to the garden from the beginning of time where he went into the garden and he became a serpent and, and he deceived Adam and Eve, the serpent of old. He's been a deceiver from the beginning. The Lord Jesus Christ said he's been a liar from the beginning. That's what he is. That's his nature, a liar. The word devil is used. The word devil is used. You know what the word devil Actually, it's translated in certain passages in the New Testament as gossip. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? The avalo. We've heard this word devil. It comes from two different words in the Greek. One has the idea of something that is through, and the other idea is something that is tossed. So, the idea is when you, the reason they translated gossip, it's because you are tossing something with your language into the midst of a conversation that causes separation or division. What does the devil do? He's constantly lying, he's constantly throwing something into the mix in order to cause separation, to cause doubt, to cause. Division, folks, as the people of God, we ought not be participating in gossip. It's devilish. Devilish. Well, he also uses the idea of Satan. What does the word Satan itself mean? The name Satan, it means adversary, and we know that he's our adversary. He's the accuser of the brethren, he's constantly against the things of God. Anything that God's doing, Satan is against. And thank God that he's on a leash. And we know that. James tells us to submit to the Lord and Satan will flee from us. He doesn't say submit to the Lord and maybe Satan will go, maybe he won't. He says submit to the Lord and Satan will flee. Why? Because Satan, who is darkness and a liar, cannot stand in the very presence of a holy, omnipotent God. There's no way. But we need to submit. Because when we submit to the Lord... In that sense, we experience the power of God in and through us. Well, he's also called a deceiver, and that simply means to cause to wander or to lead astray. When we talk about Satan, he's an adversary. He's somebody who's constantly lying and throwing things into the midst in order to cause division. But he's also a deceiver, and he's trying to cause people to wander off the path to go astray. And he's clearly doing that with unbelievers. He obviously does that with believers. We can be deceived. We're told over and over and over again in the New Testament to get into the Word of God, to make sure that we understand the Word of God so that our minds are renewed, we understand how to walk with God by faith, being persuaded that he is able, in spite of what we see, uh, and all our senses are telling us to trust the Lord. Satan is always trying to get us off the path, distracted by things that really, in the long run, in an internal perspective, are not important, not essential. So the question becomes this, and in some ways, why the worldwide satanic attack against the Jewish people? Huh. Why, why? You know, one of the great uh, absolute signs that there's a God is the Jewish people. The fact that they are still a people is incredible. I mean, the amount of anti-Semitism throughout world history is indescribable. Why? Well, it's satanic in its origin. And there's several reasons for this. First of all, the Abrahamic Covenant... The Lord made a covenant with Abraham, and he gave him, in effect, the redemption plan through the Jewish people. In other words, the Messiah, through you, all the families of the world will be blessed. How's that possible? Through the Messiah, which will come through the line of Abraham, who will be Jewish, which is another reason why Satan is depicted in Revelation 12 as trying to kill the child. Because he's Jewish, because he's the Messiah, because he provides redemption for humanity. Satan I believe did everything that he could in order to kill Jesus before he went to the cross. Now, think about that. It was prophesied that Jesus would go to the cross. Why would Satan help him fulfill prophecy? You ever thought of it that way? I won't break fellowship over this, but I want you to think about it a little bit. First of all, we already saw that he through Herod killed all these children. Can you imagine the evil, wicked nature that it takes in order to get to that level of depravity? We can see this over and over again. In Luke chapter 4, verses 20 through 30, the Lord was reading Scripture and he was in Nazareth. And what did they want to do? They wanted to throw him off the cliff because he began to speak truth to them and they didn't want to receive it. Oh, this is just... Joseph's son, isn't it? Who in the world are you to tell us scripture? To tell us what the word of God has to say? And so what did they do? They took him up to the city. I've been there. How many have been been there? You've been to Nazareth, you've been probably to the cliff. It's the only cliff around, right? Everything else is kind of rolling hills. I mean, this was a cliff. And it's probably where they took Jesus in order to throw him off. And the Lord's sovereign, he's all powerful. He got to the point where they were kind of moving him along and there came a moment where he went, "Ah, oh, that's good enough." It's not my time. Off he went. (laughs) We don't know what he did. Did he disappear? We don't know. But the point of the matter is they couldn't do it. Why? Because it wasn't the Lord's time. It wasn't the Lord's time. There's two different times that they tried, the Pharisees and different individuals, tried to kill the Lord by stoning him. John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59, where it talks about Abraham And the Lord says, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, the Jews understood exactly what the Lord was saying by that. He was saying, before Abraham even came into being, before he even existed, I have always been. What he was claiming to be is God, because he's the self-existent one. He's created all things. All things are before him. Time is before him. He created time. He's not bound by time. Which is remarkable to think about in and of itself. They wanted to stone him for that. Why? Because Satan wanted to get rid of him. Satan didn't want him to go to the cross. He didn't want those words stated at the cross it is finished. Because Satan is vicious, he's a dragon, he's a liar, he's our adversary, he's anti God in every sense. John chapter 10, verse 30 and 31 is another one. I and the Father are one. Again, Jesus claiming to be God, and the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And again, it it wasn't his time, so he didn't allow that to take place. Well, in Daniel chapter 10, we get this picture of this angelic war. Michael and the angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon coming against the Jews, coming against uh, the Jewish nation, Israel. Coming against the child, which is Jesus Christ, wanting to kill him. Showing his true colors, so to, so to speak. Now, I'm not going to take time to read all this, but I would encourage you to go back and read Daniel chapter 10 and verses 10 and following. All these chapters are so relevant to what we're looking at in Revelation. But there's a lot that we learn about this angelic war through these passages in Daniel chapter 10. He says, Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. Daniel does what he says, he stands up, and then this angel who has been sent in order to give Daniel a message in response to what Daniel had begun to pray begins to tell him what it is that's taking place. And in the midst of this, we get this picture of the angelic war that's taking place all around us, and it has been since the very fall of man, since the very garden, since uh, Satan took one-third of the angels with him in order to fight against God. There are several things that are brought out here. First of all, this angel. By the way, the word angel means messenger. This angel was to bring a message to Daniel, but it took three weeks. And (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, you know, kind of a sanctified view of this. It's almost like the angel showed up and he begins to talk to Daniel. Daniel faints because this is a mighty angel. And the angel says, stand up. And (laughs) Daniel stands up and he's trembling. I mean, can you imagine? Well, how long has Daniel been praying? He's been praying for three weeks. He's been praying for 21 days. What has he been praying about? He's been praying about what's going to happen to Israel. Why? Because they're in captivity. Because he's read Jeremiah, and he's read some of his contemporary prophets, and he knows that 70 years have been decreed for them to be in captivity, and they're coming to an end of that 70 years. And he's wondering, now what's going to happen, Lord, for your glory, for your honor? What are you going to do with your people Israel? And so this... Angel was sent in order to let Daniel know what was going to happen, but it took him three weeks to get there. Now, Daniel didn't say this, but I don't know, he's human, and I'm human, and I kind of would have thought, man, there's a lot of stakes I missed over that three weeks. Why didn't you come three weeks ago, man? Come on. Guy's kind of apologetic. Hey, it took me three weeks, but then he starts to tell him why. Why? Why? well he was withstood by the prince of persia now that, that's not in any order remember michael the prince the great prince evidently this is a demon over persia this is a demon that is standing against this angel preventing him from coming to daniel to give daniel the message now what how's that happened i mean what does he do stand there i mean i don't know what do they do Use saw i mean how do they kill one how do they fight I don't know. (laughs) We're not really told that. But what we know is that this angel not only knew Daniel's prayer and had been given what Daniel had prayed, but also had been given the answer to Daniel's prayer. But it took him 21 days to get there because the prince of Persia, this demon, was withstanding him, standing against him preventing him. And this angel lets us know that the only reason he was finally able to come to Daniel after three weeks is because Michael came and stood for him so that he could be released to go to Daniel. Now, let me ask you something. Why didn't Michael just deliver this message? Right? I don't know. See, this is, this is a speculative stuff. We don't know. What we do know is that angels are messengers of God. This angel was supposed to give a message to Daniel, he was given it by God, and the only reason he was able to do it is because Michael came and stood. Now, let me ask you something. Why would the demons not want this angel to get this message to Daniel? Have you ever thought about that? I would suggest to you that this message impacts us to this very day. I would suggest that the revelation that is being given Daniel prophetically is of such vast importance that it has encouraged God's people for decades after this period of time. We're still studying what it is that this angel gave to Daniel. And in Revelation, we actually go back to Daniel in order to help us understand some of the parts in Revelation that were given to John in the island of Patmos years later. So what we're talking about is a truth battle here. And we're talking about God revealing truth to humanity and Satan wanting to stop that. Think about that. Michael is said to be one of the chief princes. And the question becomes, well, are there other archangels? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, here it's pretty clear, one of the chief princes. We also know in Jude, when he was disputing the body of Moses with Satan, that Michael is called the archangel. And it's articular, it's very specific. So maybe Michael is the main angel. Why? Because he's the defender and protector of Israel. But there are other archangels, and we know that there's hierarchies. We know that there is, in effect, a command of angels, not only in the demonic realm, but also in the uh, good angel realm. We know that out of Ephesians chapter 6, because the Lord Jesus Christ is over it all. And Paul gives us, in the language that he uses, this hierarchy. It's fascinating. Well, we don't know exactly how they fight. Maybe it's the presence of good or light which overcomes darkness. Clearly, the battle revolves around truth and the truth of God being given to humanity, and I would suggest specific to salvation, redemption, God's plan for humanity with regard So what he did at the cross through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the shedding of his blood, and I believe the demons are doing everything they can to stop that. Furthermore, they're attacking Israel in Revelation, and they continue to attack Israel in Revelation, and God continues to protect Israel because God has absolutely made it clear that he's a covenant-keeping God and that he's not done with Israel yet, and Israel will be restored. They will be saved. They will be brought back into right relationship with himself, and we see that at the end of the tribulation. So, Satan and his angels are fighting against this all the time because they don't want God's word to come true. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 20 and 21, the angel. Says to Daniel, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia, so I am going forth. In other words, he's going back to the territory that he was originally at, and Michael had come to stand against the prince of Persia to release him to go and give the message to Daniel. And then he says this Behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. What? So there's another demon over another area. Now, I don't know how far to go with that. All I know is there's a hierarchy, and I know that we're in a spiritual war, and it's epic. It's global, and it's about, the God, it's about God's truth. And this angel knew that the prince of Greece was about to come, and he needed to go, and he needed to fight, and he needed to stand against this individual. He says in verse 21, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Now, I don't believe what he means is that there's nobody else. What I believe he means is that there's no one else that's able, indicating that the spiritual war is global. It's happening all over the place. And only Michael is able to stand with him in the midst of the battle that he's a part of. It's incredible, folks. Yeah, how often do we just get caught up in the mundane of life? And, and we don't realize what's going on all around us. Again, we need to be careful to speculate. We need to be careful to get so enamored with angels. Hebrews makes it very clear Jesus is greater than the angels, and we, we ought to be enamored by the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something. We are in a spiritual battle. It is epic. It is global. It is catastrophic. It's about God's truth of redemption for mankind as well as for Israel in that sense. And in the midst of it all, how are we walking day by day caught up in the things of God rather than the things of this world? How is Satan, the deceiver, causing us to get our attention off of the things that, eternally speaking, matter, not a whit? It's incredible, folks. We are in amazing days. There are amazing opportunities to present the gospel all around us. If we just say, "Lord, here we are. We're willing. We're willing. Are you fearful? Hey, welcome, Welcome. Right? I mean, is there anybody that hasn't worried about what when you share Christ with somebody, what they're going to think about you? Come on. But I want to tell you something, as we walk with the Lord and as God gives us the grace and God calls us into it, we begin to experience the Lord in the midst of it, in his timing and in his way, I believe God gives us a a holy boldness to declare the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, do we see the times that we're in? Do we recognize this epic battle that's going on all around us? And are we yielding our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and step-by-step walking with him don't give into this political correct nonsense. People are starved for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're starving for hope. They need answers that only the word of God, only the Lord Jesus Christ himself actually has. And we need to be faithful as we yield to the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace to proclaim the gospel of truth. Well, how are believers impacted by Satan? I would suggest to you, some things just never change. When you go back to the garden, you look at the deceiver of old, the serpent, you look at this liar, this thief, what does he do? He questions God's word, doesn't he? Did God really say? (laughs) Isn't that what, right? Did God really say? That's what he does all the time. What else does he do? He questions God's character. Well, God doesn't really want you to have that. God's trying to keep you from something that's good. Really? That's what Satan does all the time. Young people go through this all the time, right? Well, I love this person. Right? Premarital sex, how's that? That can't be wrong because I love this person. Hey, 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 understand what God says. Sex is for marriage. Sex is wonderful. It's good. It's, It's something God's created, but he's designed it for marriage. Anything outside of marriage is not God's plan. Don't fall into that, right? How, how many of us are trying to find something, get something to appeal to our flesh that God has said, this isn't good for you, and we immediately kind of buck up against the spirit of God within us, and there's a war that goes on, and one of the things that immediately comes into our minds is, well, God's trying to keep me from something that's actually good. Friend, that's as old as the hills. Understand it and know it. That is not from God, that is from Satan. That is our flesh, right? We have three battles that are constantly taking place. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system, Satan himself, the devil, and certainly our flesh because there is something in us that is attracted, that is being constantly pulled towards those things. How do we overcome that? Well, I want to tell you something. You can try to overcome it on your own all you want. But I'll tell you this, what I've learned in my life and biblically what I believe is absolutely correct is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has to overcome it. You can't overcome it. If we could overcome sin, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why does he come to live within us? What we need is the Lord. And when we yield to the Lord, guess what? He overcomes us. He overcomes our sin. And he puts things right. But we need the word of God and we need to be in the word of God so that our minds are being renewed so that we understand God's thoughts and we're able to discern what's really from him and what's not. And we're able to discern the voice of our shepherd and we have the power and the strength to follow him and what it is that he wants for our lives. In the very, all the specificity of it. Questions God's word, He questions God's character, he certainly questions God's ways. Right? Satan does this all the time. In First John chapter two verse 16, he says, "For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from where? The world. Right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life." If you take time to look at the commentaries and you look at the differences and you just kind of compare and contrast some of the different um, passages, two in particular where Satan goes in the garden and appeals to Eve, or when the Lord Jesus Christ himself was tempted by Satan, you'll find three things that he basically does, which is what John's talking about in 1 John 2.16. First of all, he appeals to the physical appetite. He appeals to our flesh and what our flesh craves and wants. Secondly, he appeals to personal gain. He tells... Eve, you will not die. You won't die. You're going to live forever. Or he tells the Lord, you will not hurt your foot. You do what I'm telling you to do, and hey, the angels are going to rescue you. You don't don't need to worry about that. So there's an appeal to personal gain. And third, there's an appeal to power or glory. Satan tells Eve, you will be like God, knowing good from evil, right? Or he tells Jesus, you will have all the world's kingdoms. I'll give them to you. Oh man, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Some things never change, folks. Satan is a roaring lion, he's the deceiver, he's a liar, he's come to steal, to kill and destroy. And in Revelation chapter 12, what we see is that he's coming against God's people, he's coming against Israel, he wants to kill the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, this child that is the hope of mankind, But is he able to do it? Of course not. Why? Because God is king. God is all-powerful. Think about that. Has it really struck you that God lives in us? When we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What a beautiful truth. When you walk day by day, moment by moment with the Lord, and you begin to yield your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and experience his life, which is abundant life, which is eternal life, and you begin to know Christ even more, God begins to produce love within you with all the characteristics of what that is. He begins to renew our minds through the word of God. He begins to teach us to walk in his ways according to his truth because of his character. Satan comes along and tries to sideswipe us. friend, run to the Lord in that moment. Run to the Lord in that moment. Follow God. Trust in Him. Experience Him. I tell you, these days are absolutely incredible. The question is, as believers, are we walking in such a way that God has tenderized our hearts for those people around us that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? They don't have any hope. Are we serving the Lord for him, for his glory? Are we walking with him in such a way that every opportunity that God gives to us, we're simply sharing Christ. We're saying, Lord, here's my life. Use me as a testimony of who you are and that you're mighty to save and you're able to transform and share with people as the Lord leads and as the, the Lord empowers the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast.